Hey, guys. What's up, dude? Oh, hi. Oh, week two for us. Week yes. two. This yes. is a thing now. This is a thing. Officially, it's a tradition in Jesuit terms. <laughs> <laughs> Do it once, it's a tradition. Do it twice, and it'll it's, never change. It's in the law. We're going to put this in the books. <laughs> That's right. All right. So uh, how, did, how do you think our uh, interpretation of the readings went for last week? I think generally pretty good. You know, I was, I was pretty happy when I went to Mass on Sunday that I remembered what the readings mm. was. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. If nothing else, then I was more prepared for Mass, <laughs> even without the homily, just to be able to listen to the readings a little bit better. Right, right. Having talked about them once. I thought so, too, just sitting there and being like, oh, I've heard this before. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, and then also it made, I'm gonna, it made me a little judgmental of the homilist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I went, to ma- I went to Mass on Sunday, and the priest only preached on the second reading, and I was like, dude, <laughs> what about yeah. the whole thing with Nehemiah? We, we spent so much time talking about that. This is like the one time in the three-year cycle that we hear this interchange between Nehemiah and Ezra mm-hmm. and a lot of preachers don't even mention it <laughs> write a letter to the bishop Inappropriate. so looking at this week and uh, what we've got up for next Sunday so that would be the fourth Sunday in ordinary time did uh, you have a chance to look at these readings this week David I did I did yeah I gotta tell you if I were to give you my sense right away of what I thought the readings uh we're generally about, I think the thing that I kept praying with was the notion of prophecy um, and the role of the prophet, generally. Um, so in the first reading, we have the call, well, not the call of Jeremiah, but there, there's that language, a very famous line from Jeremiah, you know, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And then it goes on to talk about the work of the Lord through the prophet. Um, so I kind of was thinking about all three of these readings, or at least the first in the gospel, in terms of what does it mean to be a prophet and what is prophecy? Along those same lines, I was really struck by that second part of the first reading. Um, And David, you're talking about the role of the prophet. This is really kind of giving me a lot of courage, especially in these days. So do you gird your loins, stand up and tell them all that I've commanded you. And so I think there's a, I think the prophet's encouraging us to be kind of bold, Mm -hmm. to go out and not to be, to be crushed by, you know, the pressures of society, the pressures of culture, but to be like a city, a fortified city, to be like a pillar of iron, a wall of brass, something firm. Mm -hmm. And also to keep in mind that it's not me that's firm. It's not me that's a wall of iron. It's God. Mm -hmm. And insofar as I lean on that, then I also will become strong. Um. And honestly, I think that that's the best way that I can interpret that second reading. You know, it's kind of become a little overused and somewhat saccharine when it's Uh spoken of. Uh Uh, But when we put it into that context, like this is our, this is where we draw our strength from, from this wall of iron, who also is love. Hmm. Um, So now it's not just the sappy, emotional oh yeah, love, love is kind, hope, blah, 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 blah. But rather, no, this is firm. This is something reliable. Mm -hmm. The true love, not the, you know, whatever. I think, uh, yeah, I also concentrated on this 
idea of prophecy and the call to be prophetic and also love. I think that the love that we show in the world is a way of uh, showing this prophetic witness. That if Christians really were as loving as St. Paul is calling us to, that we're not just an empty symbol and we're not just this clanging gong, that we're actually uh, this quiet and powerful love in the Mm -hmm. world, that that would be truly prophetic in a big way. And I think that if we were to live that out uh, like Jesus does, maybe at some point we would be rejected by our own people or our own families at times or our own friends who are like, well, you weren't always like this. You didn't always act like this. You didn't always talk like this or do this kind of thing. Uh, And I think that that's kind of the role of prophecy is that you have to be willing to sacrifice quite a bit sometimes Mm -hmm. in order to be prophetic. At at one point there, Louis, I thought you were going to start singing a Matt Marr song. Oh, what's that? (laughs) I don't know. Something about love and love will see us through. That's right. (laughs) I love all of Matt Marr's music. Let me, well, let me, let me try to segue this to see if we can recapture some of that stuff that David, you were trying to talk about. Do we think, do we believe that separation between the New Testament God of love and the Old Testament God of vengeance? Because the only thing that I can, I mean, I've read a lot of the Old Testament. I taught Old Testament for a long time. And so when I read the prophets, well, I read them, as Bishop Barron says, through the lens of the lamb that was slain. So I read them through this God of love who gave everything, even himself. Um, so when I see things like, for it is I this day who have made you a fortified city. That's love. Because God is there to support us. Hmm. And it's not this. And, I, and I'm afraid that when we separate the Old Testament God from the New Testament God, um, then we lose that and it becomes just, oh, you know, the super sappy first Corinthians thing that you only ever hear at weddings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a trap mm-hmm. because, well, we lose our foundation. Yeah. And I think, uh, the love of God that we're hearing about is about shaking things up. So the mm-hmm. God that we witness in the old Testament is literally shaking the earth to get his people to come back to him, to, to bring them close to him and the God of the new Testament, as if they could even be separated uh, is shaking the earth with this sense of love. I think that uh, first Corinthians, yes, we use it at a lot of weddings, but how many people are really listening to it? (laughs) Like, I think one thing I might do in a homily is like, listen to what this is saying, that love is patient and kind. And that sounds very flowery. But if we actually lived that, what would the world yeah. look like? Yeah. Hmm. Um, so maybe changing gears a little bit. So at the end of, of Paul's uh, reading, the second the second reading, there's a famous line there that I think gets a lot of traction in conversations about relationships to God. At present, we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Or more poetically, through a glass darkly, you know, we see God, but eventually we see him face to face. Um, something kind of interesting there about the prophets, because the prophets are sort of like a dark mirror through mm. which we we see God, because they can be rough. 
right? The Isaiah's, the Jeremiah's, the Amos's, these are not always, you know, the gentlest of creatures. They can be a bit of a glass darkly through which we see God. But hopefully through that glass, we eventually come to see God face to face. But there's sort of an interesting thing there of, you know, we have prophets in our life. We have Elijah's and Elisha's. And their message is mediating God's love to us. Eventually, we see God face to face, you know, so they have a role to play. But sometimes the, it's obscured through the humanity of the person. I wonder if that's a necessary first step to see, well, the brokenness of, of humanity, to see me as, to see myself, myself as a sinner, so that, so that I'm looking into this mirror mm-hmm. and I don't like what I see because it's a sinful person. And that's yeah. kind of what the prophets are doing right? Re- when they say repent. They hold up a mirror to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you can see. Yeah. That's interesting. Hmm. Well, that's like John the Baptist standing in the wilderness is a testament mm-hmm. that we are all standing outside of this. You know, we're all called to stand outside and proclaim the glory of God to the people inside that our role right. in society is to stand on the outside. Sometimes that looks kind of crazy, like eating <laughs> locusts and wearing hair shirts mm-hmm. and and all that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's what God calls us to do. Sometimes I'm really unwilling to do it. You know, by extension still, I, I wonder, and this is maybe a little controversial also, but like it, it's very tempting for me to equate the message of a person with the that, like the moral value of that person or the moral quality of that person. So, yeah. you know, if the prophets were rough and tumble people, they were, you know, dark mirrors by which I come to see God um, you know, and they're rough, like John the Baptist, you know, by comparison, there could be people who are sinners who are teaching me about how to be a better person, but I might write them off because I consider them to be sinful or consider them to be marginal or insignificant because of their past, you know, but God speaks through these men and women, even though from my point of view, you know, like think of, for example, Naaman was a leper, right? And Elisha was sent to him. Um, I don't know. There's something interesting. Who are the prophets in my life that I might write off completely just because I might think that, this glass is a little too dark for me to ever think that any light could shine off of it. You know, something that I was reflecting on in this was the role of being an ordinary time right now that we have these beautiful readings, this, uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Uh, Mm -hmm. and then this whole dialogue about love and then Jesus's kind of placement of himself as a prophet within his own nation, that these, for God are ordinary circumstances. I hmm. think I might do a little do a little connector <laughs> there, maybe talk about sure. the liturgy in my homily, but yeah. uh, that the extraordinary way that God loves and the extraordinary way that God calls us to be in the world as prophets uh, is truly ordinary. Hmm. Uh, that we, yeah. we often think of the saints as these people that are far off and what they've done is inaccessible to us, but we celebrate them in our ordinary life because mm-hmm. we in our ordinary lives are called to be like them. Mm. I, like Louis, I, have a, I have a question for you, Louis. Why, like, what do you make of the end of the gospel? Jesus <laughs> disappearing like a mist. <laughs> yeah. So like even leading up to that, you know, uh, how, how the crowd reacted to, to Jesus preaching in the synagogue. Mm. So, like, like this is a follow-up from last week, right? Like, there's the fulfillment. Of, I am the fulfillment of what you're in your hearing, you know. Um, and then they just get up and they seem really, well, they're 
filled with fury, <laughs> and then they go to drive him off of the cliff. But how do you read that? Well, right before that, uh, Jesus says, Amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own native place. Hmm. And then he talks about how the prophets didn't necessarily go to the expected places, but they went to these marginalized people. They went to the Syrians, these mm-hmm. people of another religion, or they went to the widows, these outcasts mm-hmm. in society. So I think a little bit of the fury comes from that mirror, right? Having to recognize that you've sent people away or having to recognize mm. that you've built this boundary between yourself and your neighbor, that the prophet is calling for the the tearing down of those walls in a lot of ways. And that is a really hard reality for people to, to a really hard reality for people to live with that mm. uh, they have to recognize their own sinfulness. And so if somebody's going to come to me and tell me, you know, all the things I'm doing wrong, you're damn right. Mm. I'm going to open that window and toss them out. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Huh. Yeah, but sometimes like a, that's necessary because that's how we grow. That's how we be, become better. Right. Better versions of ourselves. And mm-hmm. again, that's love. Yeah. Mm. That's the loving act. Yeah. And yeah. So if I think of uh, what happens in that synagogue as happening in my own heart, sometimes that uh, sometimes God speaks a message to me and I'm ready to run him off that cliff because it's, it's too challenging or it's, it's too much to ask. There seems to be a connection between like, there seems to be a connection between truth and love in these readings of like the prophet is given a message from God to share. And it's a true message, right? And it's a message of strength and a message of love and hope. Um, and that truth can be unsettling, right? That the widow is someone that ought not be marginalized, the leper, the Syrian. These are true statements, but we can balk at the truth and, and we're invited to respond not out of fury, but out of love. That, that there's a relationship between those two things, that love and truth must go together, you mm-hmm. know? And that love drives me to recognize the truth, even when that's hard. Especially, the tr- like you were saying, the truth about yourself, you know? Like, that's, that's a difficult thing, you know, to know, to know myself, to be called, to be loved. That's really hard for people. It's hard for me, right? And it's easier to just reject that. Well, yeah, if love means being patient and kind and not proud and not rude and not only seeking my own interest, if that's what love really means, then I've got a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> this is really why we've called you here, Louis, yeah. to, <laughs> to, help, to help you figure this out. <laughs> it's not all candy hearts and, uh, you know, Valentines. Did you know that there is a shortage on candy hearts? This year? Uh, what? Yeah, the company. Is it the government shutdown? Did the government shutdown do this? No, uh, it did many things. But the company that made the Candy Hearts uh, was bought out by another company, and they weren't able to get production back up for the Candy Hearts. So there is a shortage of those oh, no. nasty, chalky Candy Hearts. They're so gross. They are so <laughs> gross. <laughs> yeah, so I think if we could boil down the readings for this week. I mean, Candied Hearts, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, chalky, disgusting Candied Hearts. Yeah, you don't want those. You want real hearts. Well, what do we think? Any final thoughts? Final thought, Jonathan? So I do have a final thought, and I don't know that I would be able to to include this particular idea into into one homily. This could be a talk for another time. But I was really struck by this line 
speaking of love, it does not rejoice over wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. boy, does that speak to our culture right now. Wow, that's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, that's something that I'm going to be sitting with for a little while longer, I think. Hmm. That in like Just, social media, especially. Yeah, everything. Our call out culture is such that we're looking for people who are doing wrong so that we can rejoice over them and wow. say, look at what you're doing. That's a whole homily right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I like that a lot. And, and the interesting contrast between call out culture and prophecy. Yeah, yeah. Or another similar thing would be something like gossip versus, I don't know, what's the what would be a virtuous, like a fraternal correction or trying to come. Well, gossip um, is gossip is sharing is sharing about people behind their back. The difference between that is sharing the good news. Wouldn't it be? I mean, right. sharing... Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Bring a little Pope Francis quote in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, the joy, the joy of the gospel. I'm going to coin that. Copyright. <laughs> David, any final thought for this week? No, that's good. I, I appreciate that that point that Jonathan just made, it kind of puts things in a little bit of perspective for me in terms of the contrast between prophecy and, you know, slander or prophecy and, you know, speech that is used just for the sake of power or destruction. Um, I like that. It's got me thinking a little bit about what does it really mean to be a prophet, you know, and, hmm. and ultimately Jesus did call out injustice and did call out falsehood, but, you know, he didn't just rejoice in the wrongdoing. He washed the feet. And yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I'm kind of st I'm, I'm I'm sitting with that. It seems to me that there is a call for balance in a sense that, yes, I'm called to be prophetic. And perhaps my prophecy in the world is drawn out by the way that I love in the world. That mm. uh, if I'm going to be a prophet, sometimes we think of modern day prophets as this call out culture like you're talking about. Uh, but really, I'm going to be more prophetic with the acts that I uh, do for others and my acts of praise and, and prayer to God, that that's going to be what sets us apart as true prophets and not these false prophets that, uh, you know, stand behind the keys of a message board. Right. Right. Very good. I like it. Thanks guys. Yeah. Thanks. This is a, a great time spent together with friends. Okay. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you next week. All right, man. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.